Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this week. And get ready, because it's Saturday afternoon in Athens. Thank you so much for joining me as we continue our preview of the 2021 University of Georgia football season. As you are listening to this, the day the episode drops, we are four short weeks from the start of the 2021 season, and we are coming rapidly to the halfway point of our preview of this season. Today is crossover day. We're going to talk about the line of scrimmage. We're going to talk about the hog mollies, the guys in the trenches We're going to talk about the offensive line, and then we're going to cross over to the other side of the ball, and we are going to talk about the defensive line. Next week, the preview will finish up as we talk about the linebackers, the secondary, and the specialists for the Georgia Bulldogs, and then we will finish up our preview series by talking about the schedule and talking about what the dogs can expect from the upcoming season and just a a brief look around the SEC as it relates to Georgia and the season that will be rapidly coming upon us. So today we're going to start with the offensive line. And I think it's fair to say, just to give some context, that we talked last or a couple of weeks ago about Kirby Smart, his inability to be decisive and, and in hindsight sometimes make the right decisions when it comes to the quarterback position. That, at this point, has defined his coaching tenure. No position defined Mark Rick's coaching tenure in Athens more than Rick's failure to adequately recruit and develop offensive linemen, especially in the second half of his tenure here in Athens. Georgia, at the peak of the Rick years, was absolutely fantastic upon on the offensive line. Didn't necessarily have a ton of five-star guys, but Coach Callaway, the offensive line coach at the time, was absolutely fantastic. And he did a great job of getting good players, developing them, but more than anything, just having cohesive offensive line units that absolutely were the foundation for those 2 3 5 SEC East champions and a couple of SEC championships in there as well. Towards the back end of the Richt era, the lack of offensive line depth, the lack of uh, willingness from Mark Rick to mix things up, it became a situation where Georgia would have guys that were juniors and seniors and they were starters. And whether or not they were the best players on the team or the best players at their position, it didn't always matter. And it was really the the beginning of the end and the downfall. So many offensive and defensive linemen as well got away. And that's where Nick Saban came in in 2007 and began to change the league. And everything was about the the offensive and defensive line. So as we're talking about today, it's important to understand Kirby Smart came in in 2016 and while Kirby doesn't say much on at his press conferences, and we'll start adding in some clips throughout the season of what Kirby is saying at press conferences, he doesn't give you very much, but every once in a while, 
he'll tell you exactly the truth. And it sounds like coach speak, but when you can look back at it and know, you know what, he was actually telling us the truth the entire time. And as soon as he got the job at the end of 2015 and through 2016 spring practice and leading up to the 2016 season, Kirby told us, we're not big enough. We're not strong enough. We don't have the guys. And that proved to be the truth in 2016. But the other truth for Kirby is it's been the priority of his recruitment, of his staff. Everything that he does has been to rebuild the, the, the size, the strength, and also the depth across the line of scrimmage. So, again, we'll start with the offensive line. And this is going to be a little bit of an overwhelming assessment because we are about to talk about a lot of guys. So let's just go down some of the key guys. Now, I'm warning you from the beginning. We're about I'm about to tell you about 14 different players. Now, we don't we're not going to go in depth. There's not the statistical analysis that we had last week with, you know, the yards and the catches and the averages and stuff like that. But I want you to listen to this. And over the next few minutes as I go through these names, if I as I tell you what class they belong to, their size, I want you just to listen and realize the depth across the offensive line that George has been able to amass. There's two seniors that are going to factor in this year. The two best offensive linemen Georgia has coming into the season, Justin Schaefer, 6'4", 330 pounds. He was a three-star. Then you also have Jamari Sawyer, who is probably overall the best lineman on this team. He is also a senior, 6'4", 325. He was a five-star. Sawyer has played guard. He's played tackle. And we'll talk about in a few minutes as we start looking forward to what the starting five could look like Jamari Sawyer is the key cog in that decision there are two juniors that we should talk about Warren Erickson 6'4 305 he was a four-star and junior Owen Condon 6'7 310 he was a three-star now listen to where we're about to go here redshirt sophomore Clay Webb 6'3 290 five-star he plays center sophomore Warren McClendon 6'4 300 pounds he's a four-star Redshirt sophomore Xavier Truss, 6'7", 330, three-star playing tackle. Redshirt freshman Tate Radledge, 6'6", 320, he's a five-star. Redshirt freshman Broderick Jones, 6'4", 315, five-star. Redshirt freshman Cedric Van Pran, 6'4", 310, four-star. Redshirt freshman Chad Lindbergh, 6'6", 325, four-star. Freshman, true freshman, Dylan Fairchild, 6'5", 300 pounds. He was a four-star. Fresh, freshman, Micah Morris, 6'6", 330, four-star. And finally, last but absolutely not least, a true freshman, Amarius Mims, 6'7", 330, a five-star tackle and the crowning jewel of the 2021 recruiting class. So... I just gave you 14 different names. Now, there's three three-stars on there, but two of those three-stars that I mentioned, Justin Schaefer, who will absolutely be a starter, and Xavier Truss, who was a three-star but has developed very, very nicely, and he is going to be competing for a starting position. Those are three-star guys that have developed. Outside of that, of those 14 players, 11 of those guys were five and four-stars. The offensive line rebuild at Georgia is now complete. We have the depth, 
seniors, juniors, sophomores, redshirt freshmen, freshmen. The depth is there. The talent is there. And now it's just a matter of putting together five cohesive guys to play the position. So this would not be fair if I didn't go ahead and just put out there what I think is going to happen. I think you're going to have a starting uh, – the starting five is going to be left tackle, Xavier Truss, left guard, Jamari, Sal- Jamari Salyer. I think the center is going to be Cedric Van Pran. I think the right guard is going to be Justin Schaefer. And I think the right tackle is going to be Amarius Mims, the true freshman. I think the second team is going to be uh, – Jones, Broderick Jones, the redshirt freshman on the left. Warren McClendon is going to be at left guard. Warren Erickson is going to be the center. Owen Condon, right guard. And Tate Ratledge at right tackle. Now, there's a couple of general philosophies uh, that we've seen play out over the last couple years across the line of scrimmage as far as how you look at the depth. The previous uh, offensive line coach, Sam Pittman, seem to really like the idea of cross-training. So basically, uh, the the best example that I can give you for this was that Cade Mace, if you remember him, he's the guy whose dad's uh, pinky popped off and it caused some marital issues for Mr. and Mrs. Mace. But Cade Mace, in a single game, played four positions on the offensive line a couple years ago. He wasn't starting. But throughout the game, as, as guys picked up knocks, he played left, gu- left tackle, left guard, right guard, and right tackle all in the course of the same game. And Sam Pittman really liked the idea of being able to, at any one moment, take the f- what he deemed to be the five best offensive linemen and interchange them and make sure that, okay, if I have a tackle go down, I can kick my guard out to tackle, bring in another guard. Or I can bring my right tackle over to left tackle and put some my right guard in at right tackle and bring in a backup at right guard. He desperately wanted to always have the best five guys in his mind on the line of scrimmage for every single play. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. In a lot of ways, I think that makes a lot of sense. But what we saw in my opinion, was in 18 and 19 in particular, a lack of cohesiveness across the offensive line. The individual parts of those lines didn't necessarily add up to be as good when we talk about a complete unit. When we think back and we realize that there were two first-round tackles, Isaiah Wilson Uh, on one side, and then the fourth overall pick uh, that went to the New York Giants, we had two top 15 draft picks playing tackle that that were drafted in uh, the spring of 2020 after the 2019 season. But the 2019 team did not have a great offensive line. The, the, The passing numbers were pretty good, but the rushing numbers were not good at all. It was pretty impossible in a lot of those games for Georgia to be able to consistently run the ball effectively. So to know that that there was that much talent at the tackle positions, not to mention you had guys like Ben Cleveland and, and, and Schaefer and Sawyer and the center Trey Hill, all of these guys were around. They were all playing that season. The aforementioned Cade Mays. You had all of these guys playing, and yet when it comes down to that Florida game, Georgia couldn't punch the ball in from the one-yard line after, you know, I think that we had eight or nine plays from the one and ended up settling for a field goal. So the Pittman 
recruiting was off the chart. You, you, you cannot deny how great Sam Pittman was as a recruiter. I question how well, not so much how well he developed the players, because, again, the the proof was in the pudding in the fact that he put two tackles in the draft a couple of years ago, and we've had multiple guys, and we still have guys that are on the way to the NFL. Um, when you think about, like, Isaiah Wynn, other guys that are already there, and a lot of the guys that I just read their name off, they were Sam Pittman recruits, and they're going to end up in the NFL. So Pittman got the talent. Pittman, I think, developed the talent. But I think philosophically there is a gap with his concept of always wanting to put those best five on the field because the alternative thought process is you train somebody to be the best left tackle he can be. You train somebody on what the left tackle is supposed to do, and if the left tackle goes down, you take your backup left tackle, who has been training to know exactly what the left tackle is supposed to do, and you replace him. With the depth that Georgia has, the drop-off from first team to second team is not super dramatic. The drop-off from your number one tackle, if you think about it, you got two tackles on the field at any time, one to four, I don't know that the gap is huge, and that's what we're going to see play out during fall camp. So, personally, I prefer the first team and second team model with the specializations in the particular positions because I think what you end up getting is a better offensive line unit. Now, does it always work? Will it always work? I don't know. And maybe maybe we'll see that now as Matt Luke seems a little bit more committed to that philosophy and that style of kind of development but also just that specialization concept which i'll be honest with you that's the way it, it kind of had always been done not just at georgia but just in general sam Pittman, his method was revolutionary and i think it probably helped the development of the individual players but overall i question whether or not it was the most effective choice for georgia and results kind of flesh out that maybe it wasn't as i said earlier sawyer is the key the reports are that he wants to play guard because that's where he translate translates Excuse me, in the NFL. He is going to be a guard at the next level, so he wants to play guard this year. He feels like that will give him the best opportunity to show what he can do and transition very simply into the NFL. The question then becomes, when you if you put him at guard, then you need to have somebody at tackle. If you put him at tackle, you need somebody to play guard. So really the question is, is the person that would play tackle if Sawyer plays guard better than the person that would play guard if Sawyer plays tackle? Don't be confused. Kirby Smart, Matt Luke, they're going to do what's best for the team. So we will be able to see over the course of the next month, as fall practice started yesterday, we will be able to see how this all fleshes out. And it's going to be, it may not be sexy, it may not be exciting, but probably as far as success this season on the field goes, the most important position battle on this team is going to see which five guys and what combination of five guys emerges across that offensive line. The beauty of the depth is that over the course of the season, when guys pick up injuries, if guys have issues, if somebody's not playing well, there is going to be intense competition across the offensive line. And competition is going to create excellence in this situation, I believe. The problem is some big decisions for the coaching staff to make as far as who starts because 
This is not a position where Georgia is able to just kind of ho-hum, go through the first few weeks of the season and figure it out. Everybody's excited about the Clemson game, and I am, you can put me at the top of the list, I am absolutely excited. I cannot wait. I feel like there is nothing like a summer and a fall leading up to a first game that is an absolute marquee game, and boy, do we have the marquee game. The only downside is there is absolutely no margin for error. Clemson has the best defensive line in the country. We're going to talk about that more down the road. I'm not going to give you a lot of Clemson talk today. But trust me when I tell you that the strength of that defense and Brett Venables is an absolutely excellent defensive coordinator. The strength of that defense is across the defensive line where they have as much talent, if not more talent, than any other team in the country, Alabama included. Georgia's offensive line cannot wait until week three or week four to be good enough. Georgia will lose in Charlotte if the offensive line can't play very, very good because it's going to take a very, very good performance to just give Georgia's offense, all the guys we talked about the past two weeks, the quarterback, all those skill position guys, none of it matters if JT Daniels is on his back for the entire game. None of it matters if all five of those great running backs we talked about last week can't get past the line of scrimmage because they are getting knocked down by that defensive line. I don't think the starting five against Clemson will necessarily be the starting five moving forward. I think Georgia's going to have to really make a very strategic decision, and it's going to be it's going to be a little bit controversial, I would think, inside the locker room. I just told you that I think Amarius Mims is going to start at right tackle this year, and I do. But I don't think he's going to be the starting right tackle against Clemson. I think Georgia's going to have to be very pragmatic in the way they approach that Clemson game, knowing the experience, the explosiveness, and the excellence that Clemson has across that defensive line. Georgia's going to have to put a safe offensive line out there. Guys who know what to do, guys who've been there before, guys who are not going to be overwhelmed by the moment. You can't go out there and have a bunch of procedure penalties against Clemson and think that you're going to win that game. Now, the starting five that we see against UAB, South Carolina, Arkansas, and other teams as the season progresses could be very, very different. I think guys like Mims and the younger players, trust. Those guys are going to get more opportunities as the season goes along. And I think really early, maybe even by October, you might see a guy like Amarius Mims starting at right tackle. And once he starts, you're not going to get him out of the lineup until he leaves to go to the NFL in three years. That's how good this guy is. However, you have to approach the Clemson game differently. It's not about building for the future. It's about getting through that three and a half hours in Charlotte on the night of September 4th. It's about giving yourself the chance to win the one game on this schedule that Georgia is probably going to be an underdog in. So as we think about the offensive line, as we hear the reports coming out over the next couple of weeks during practice, how things are going, who's looking good, what the projected starting vibes look like. Please don't get too excited when you see the the graphic, the Chick-fil-A cow doing the moo thing and then the graphic coming up during that first game against Clemson. Those five guys are starting that night. I don't think that'll be the five you see start all season. 
I think Georgia's going to have to really approach that Clemson game with a lot of care, a lot of thought, a lot of planfulness, and then the coaches are going to have to encourage these young guys who aren't going to get that start that your time is coming, your opportunity is going to be here, don't freak out, don't you know, run for the hills or the transfer portal, give us some time, but that Clemson game changes the dynamic, especially on the offensive line. As we cross over the line of scrimmage to move over to Kirby Smart's favorite side of the ball, the defense, I want to just kind of give a a basic kind of understanding of the style of defense that Georgia has uh, been playing under Kirby Smart. Typically, we are in a 3-4 defense, which means you have three down offensive or defensive linemen, excuse me, and four linebackers. Now, Georgia's probably only in that setup about 35 or 40 percent of the time. The reality of what Georgia does on defense is a lot of different looks, a lot of situational calls, much in the same way that an offense will have packages and have different uh, position groups come in together. Sometimes you have three receivers, a tight end, and a running back. Sometimes you have two running backs, one tight end, and two receivers. Sometimes you go five receivers and no tight ends or running backs. Very similar to what Kirby does on defense. There is a lot of interchanging pieces. On third and long, you're going to see none of the guys we talk about today be on the field, and you are going to have essentially seven linebackers on the field to get after the quarterback. So we're going to talk about the traditional down off or defensive lineman. I hope I can, can stop saying that. The down defensive lineman is who we're going to focus on today, and then we will have a ton of guys to talk about next week when we talk about the linebacking core. So... We're going to start where it all starts, and this is where we're going to start. This is where we're going to finish. This is the biggest returning starter that was draft eligible, that was thought to be going to the NFL, and made the decision to come back, and his decision to come back changes the entire outlook for this season on a whole side of the ball when we're talking about the defense. Jordan Davis, senior, 6'6", 340-pound, We talked about the offensive linemen last segment that were three stars and developed. Jordan Davis, a three-star guy who was probably going to be projected to go in the second round of the NFL draft, decided to come back, play his senior year, and make himself into a first-rounder. He was an absolute hit at media days a couple of weeks ago when Georgia took their turn uh, at the podium. He is a huge human being, as you see at 6'6", 340, but he is a charismatic guy. He is a nice guy. Um, with all of the talk going on in college football about all of the playoff expansion and the talk of, you know, b- before when Georgia went on Tuesday, the, the news hadn't broken yet about OU in Texas. So it was still just about the upcoming season at that moment. And they asked Jordan Davis about NIL. And you know, he said, hey, I, I don't have any problem with anybody that chooses to pursue NIL opportunities. He said, I just want to focus on the field. I'm not worried about NIL. And that struck me as refreshingly different. And I don't have any problem with NIL. I don't have any problem with people going out and making money. That's American, period. 
but it's refreshing to hear a young man who knows that in six months he's going to be drafted in the NFL and he's going to have plenty of money recognize that for this season, I'm going to focus on my team, my teammates, and my own field play, and I'm going to let the money worry about itself down the road. Georgia, college football in general, they need more guys like Jordan Davis, guys who come in with a lot of physical skills but had to work very hard. He's had to work very hard to keep his weight down. He came in around 365, 370 pounds, and the coaches told him, you can't play at this weight. And he has busted his tail to keep his weight down, to perfect his craft, and he has developed himself into one of the best defensive linemen in all of college football. Jordan Davis plays nose tackle. We're going to get into a little bit of the scheme and the way defenses work and the way all of this works for Georgia's defense. But just know, Jordan Jordan Davis is the man in the middle. He is the straw that stirs the drink for this defense. When he's in the game, Georgia is very good on defense. And when he's not in the game, Georgia's defense looks a whole lot different. And you won't be able to tell what's the difference. See if number 99 is on the field because that's the difference. So Davis is a senior. Another senior that came back, 6'3", 315, Devontae Wyatt. Senior Julian Rochester, 6'5", 300 pounds. We're going to circle back and talk about Julian Rochester in just a few minutes. We've got a junior, Trayvon Walker, very good, probably going to be one of the three guys starting, 6'5", 275. Sophomore Nazir Stackhouse, 6'3", 320. Sophomore sensation Jalen Carter, 6'3", 310. Sophomore Warren Brinson, who played very well last year, 6'4", 305. And the only true freshman that I thought was worth putting on here just because uh, there's a lot of beef on this uh, defensive line, so to really crack the D-line this year, you're going to have to be special. Jonathan Jefferson, 6'3", 295, a four-star guy. He has an opportunity to uh, to be special like that. So the key for Georgia, you're wondering, okay, there's three positions. You just talked about eight different guys. The key for Georgia on defense is rotation. Over the course of the game, the offense wants to keep the same five offensive linemen on the field if they possibly can. The idea being that in the fourth quarter, you know, you want to wear teams down and you want to be able to be more effective running the ball in the fourth quarter than you were in the first quarter. Georgia rotates defensive linemen constantly. And they, throughout the game, will make sure that when it's go time, when it's when the game time in the fourth quarter, that they're able to have not just their best guys out there, but their best guys out there and them being fresh. The depth that Georgia has built on this side of the line of scrimmage is absolutely spectacular and it's absolutely necessary for success in the SEC. The SEC is different than every other conference in college football because of the offensive and, most importantly, the defensive line. Clemson is an SEC team playing in the ACC because of what they do on the line of scrimmage. Not because of guys like Trevor Lawrence, not because of the wide receivers and the the you know Travis Etienne and those guys. Every conference, all the best teams have those great skill position players. The lines of scrimmage and specifically the defensive line is where the, it's the difference between the teams that win championships and the teams that win conference championships, period. It's a small difference, but it matters a great deal when it comes down to actually winning at the highest level in college football. 
So let's talk for a minute about Julian Rochester, because then when I was doing my research for this, I'll be honest with you. I had forgotten that he was coming back. Julian Rochester was a four star in the class of 2016. Other guys in that class were Jacob Eason, Miko Hardeman, Ben Cleveland. He played in 13 games in 2016. So he played in every single game in Kirby's first year in Athens. And yeah, if you're doing the math, Kirby, uh, he's about to start year six. So how is Julian still around? He only played in four games in 2019 because of injury. So that was the first year. 19 was the first year that if you play in four games or less, you could take a red shirt. So in what would have been his senior season in 2019, Rochester was able to take a red shirt to come back and play in 2020. Then the pandemic hit. And then Rochester was allowed because last year didn't count eligibility-wise for anybody. If you were a senior last year, you were able to come back again. So Julian Rochester this fall will play in his sixth season of Georgia football. So when Rochester started those games in the fall of 2016, Amarius Mims, who I think will be at some point this season the starting right tackle for Georgia, Amarius Mims was 13 years old. So just a fun little anecdote that I wanted to throw in there because when you see Julian Rochester's name come up, you're going to think, my God, that guy's still at Georgia? He is, and he's been here for a long time, but uh, this will be his last season one way or another. It's interesting because when he first started in, in 16 and 17, he was one of the most crucial guys on the defense. And between injuries and more talented guys coming in, Rochester's actually seen his playing time go down. This is a very important year for Julian. If he is going to take that next step and go into the NFL, he has got to perform. He's got to get. He's got to earn playing time to start with, and then he's going to have to be able to be effective when he gets on the field. So, Julian's been here for a long time, but uh, this is a very important season for him and his future. If it if it's going to involve the NFL or not. So as I said earlier, Jordan Davis is the key to the entire defense because if you think about five offensive linemen. His ability to command a double team on every single play means that there are three offensive linemen left to block the other two down linemen and the one linebacker that can come from any direction in the 3-4 scheme. Now, Jalen Carter and Trayvon Walker are not the easiest guys to block one-on-one, which means that many teams will be forced to try to chip with a tight end or a running back to give the quarterback enough time to throw. There is absolutely no replacement for Jordan Davis on this team. And if he's injured or he has to go out, now on first and second down, Jordan Davis usually doesn't play on third down because as I talked about earlier, typically Georgia has a special third down package where you will see maybe Carter stay in or maybe uh, Devontae Wyatt, you'll have one of the down linemen stay in, but you'll bring in guys like Adam Anderson that will kind of line up at a more traditional defensive end when you have four down linemen. You, that's what we see more often on third down, especially third and long situations. As I said, the difference in recruiting between the line of scrimmage and what Mark Richt was doing and what Kirby Smart is doing it's the biggest gap on the team. Mark Rick was getting talented guys. Kirby Smart's getting the big guys. He's getting the big uglies. He's getting the guys that nobody really pays that much attention to. But when they're not there, 
you notice because it doesn't work. There is no bigger need for this team than to go out and find a big recruit. Uh, You need a top-level recruit to come in because once Jordan Davis moves on to the NFL after this season, it's going to be a huge problem for the 2022 season. But the reality is 6'6", 340, and athletic doesn't just grow on trees. So as you enjoy watching Jordan Davis, and if you can make yourself during some of these games this year, just watch Jordan Davis because it's going to take two guys and he's still going to make those two offensive linemen that are blocking him backpedal. And when he does that, the ripple effect that it has on the opposing offense is absolutely critical to what Georgia's going to do on defense. Thank you again for listening to the podcast this week. I enjoyed, as always, I enjoy getting to talk Georgia football, getting to break down the team, getting to think about the upcoming season. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast this week. As I said, next week we're going to lump a lot of things in. We're going to talk linebackers. We're going to talk secondary. We're going to talk specialists. Then we'll wrap it up in two weeks to talk about the schedule. We're going to take a week off, and then we're going to get ready for the preview that will be coming at the end of August for the Clemson game. And we'll start getting ready for game week, and we'll start getting ready for Charlotte. Again, thank you so much for listening. If you have any suggestions or tips, leave them on our Facebook page of You From The Couch. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week, and as always, Go dogs.